This is recording number 10821 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 14, 2009. This message is titled, Vacationing with Jesus. This is where you'd rather be today. It's where I'd want to be, I'll tell you that much. Uh, not that I don't love you guys, but if we could do this there, hallelujah. <laughs> uh, Matthew Santa Ana gets to go to a place like that in a couple of weeks. I'm so jealous. Um, but I want to talk to you today about vacationing with Jesus. Now, that's a little bit of a kind of a cartoonish title, I know, but uh, you'll get what I mean in just a few minutes. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I, say, I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That passage begins describing a place that Jesus had uh, retreated to with his disciples. It's called Caesarea Philippi there in the translation I was reading. Uh, it's also known as Panias or Banias. And this is what it looks like. It's a pleasant place to be. I've actually had the opportunity to visit there. It's the, at the base of uh, uh, Mount Hermon, um, the highest peak in that region or the highest mountain in that region. Believe it or not, it actually gets snow on it at times. Um, but at the base of it is uh, uh, some springs that ultimately uh, merge together to become the Jordan River, the lifeblood of, of Palestine. And this is a place right there at the uh, headwaters of what will become the Jordan River. And it's a very lovely place. And Jesus um, just, you know, everywhere he went, he was followed by, uh, by throngs of people. And um, he... On occasion, though, the, the New Testament uh, gives us insight into times when he just slipped away alone. And this is one of those times, and he takes with him his 12 disciples. And they're on vacation. Now, we don't know how long they were, were there, not long likely. But what we read about in these verses happens in a retreat setting. 
And I want you to take note of that because today, uh, you know, school is out. This is the beginning of the summer vacation season for a lot of us. And many of us are going to have opportunities to be away on retreat. And what we're going to talk about today is true of those kinds of times when you're able to cut loose from your schedule and, uh, and just get apart for a while. But it's also true every single day you live. Every day we live, even in the hustle and bustle of the life that's swirling around all of us these days, God wants to make a place in the middle of that where we find retreat in him. My son and daughter-in-law embarked today. They left this morning from our house. Uh, We're babysitting their dogs. So yesterday they drove down from Oregon, dropped their dog off at our house uh, last night, spent the night with us, and and now they're heading off on a month-long car trip across the United States and back. Don't you wish you could do that? Just take off and be gone for a month? I said, well, are you guys going to be, you know, like stopping at Starbucks or someplace like that and getting online so we can email you and stuff? No, we're going off the grid. That's what he told me. We're going off the grid for a month. Boy, I wish I could do that. (laughs) But you know what? There is a way. There is a way for each of us to be off the grid Every day we live, at least for a few moments, experiencing a retreat with God. Now, it won't happen if you don't plan for it. My daughter, I mean, my my son and daughter-in-law have been planning for a year for this trip. It won't happen if you don't plan for it. And so I want to talk to you today about what happens when you vacation with Jesus. And we have before us in this text all of the ingredients of time spent apart, what time spent apart with God can be in our lives. The first thing that happens when you get those few minutes or however long it is alone with God is that he's able to reveal to you more of who he is. He starts off with the question to his disciples, what do people say about me? Who do they say that I am? And they come up with these answers. They would say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. What do they mean by that? We all kind of, or many of us know the story of John the Baptist. But what they were saying is, some people think you are a confronter of sin like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was very, uh, (laughs) he was a very confrontive soul. And he would get in your face and tell you exactly what for. (laughs) And there are some people who think of Jesus that way. That he is all about just pointing out our sin. You sinner, shape up. So there are some people who think, when they think of Jesus, that's what they think of. He's the one who's always just ready to point out what's wrong with you. Then they went on and they said, well, some people think that you are Elijah. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who was known for his miracle working. And there are some people who think of Jesus as simply a miracle worker. When you, got a, you need a miracle, you come to him. Then they said, some, of you think, or some people say you're like Elijah, Jesus. I'm not Elijah, excuse me, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He was also an Old Testament prophet, but very, very compassionate in the way that he spoke for God. And uh, there are some people who think of Jesus as this one that I come to when my heart is broken and he's the one who comforts me. 
And then they said, and, and uh, the rest of the people, they think you're some other kind of prophet. So uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or some other prophet, and that just simply means someone who speaks for God. Today, in this room, and certainly in the neighborhood around us and beyond that, there are people who think of Jesus as one of those four things. Someone who confronts sin, someone who works miracles, someone who cares and is compassionate, or someone who speaks for God. And surely Jesus is all of those things. But that is not all that Jesus is. And when we are able to just get apart and spend time with the Lord without interruptions, like I said, even if that's just a few minutes in your day, when you get alone with Jesus for a few minutes of your day, he has the opportunity to do what he did with his disciples at this place, reveal more of who he is. Because Simon Peter, he says, okay, he brings it down. He says, now you've told me what everybody else thinks about me. What do you guys say about me? And Peter stands up and speaks for the crowd. And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on and says, hallelujah, Peter. You got that one right. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh. But then he goes on to say, but flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you but my Father who's in heaven. And when we have those times alone from God, or with God, it gives him an opportunity to reveal to us something we would not be able to grasp otherwise about who he is. So what was Peter saying when he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God? First, he, he was saying basically three things. First, notice all the thes, T-H-E. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you look at the original Greek, it's the definite article. So it's, it's not, you know, you're just one of the Christs. You're just one of the sons of God. No, it's you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, God was revealing to Peter by the Holy Spirit in this time away apart from God that, there, that Jesus was not just one of many. He is the one and only. The one and only. And then it says that, you, you know, Jesus, you're the Christ. What does that mean? Christ, Messiah is what that means. Sometimes we think of it as, as Jesus' you know, last name, Jesus Christ. No, it, it, Christ meant who he was. It's his office. Jesus, Messiah. Messiah. Well, what was that? Well, Messiah was the one hoped for, the fulfillment of all hopes and desires. Every Jewish person, all of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their desires was, were wrapped up in this notion of Messiah, of Christ. And P uh, Peter was saying, Jesus, you are the one who fulfills all of God's will, and you're the one who fulfills all of our hopes. What is it that you dream? What is it that you hope for? What is it that your heart longs, of, longs for today? When you get apart with Jesus, it gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to reveal to you that whatever it is you long for, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Sometimes we'll pray and we'll, uh, we'll find ourselves saying, Lord, please show me what I should do. Please provide an answer for me. Please provide my material needs. As though Jesus needs to do something uh, externally 
to answer to our longings or our needs. But the truth of the matter is, dear one, hear this. He is the fulfillment of what it is you need. He, he himself is the answer to your longing and your hopes. Do you need a job today? I'm not taking anything away from the fact that, you know, uh, a job is an important thing to have. But no, really, it's not the job you need. Really, really, it's more of him. So getting apart with Jesus reveals to us more of who he is. It also clarifies to us more of who we are. You know, every morning when I go to the bathroom to brush my teeth and I get to the sink and I stare in the mirror, I'm always shocked because I never expect to see what I see there. My friend Barney, I understand, when he was here a few weeks ago to speak for, or to teach, showed a picture of me from our college days. That's what I expect to see in the mirror. And I'm disappointed every single day. Now, there are things that we have come to believe about ourselves, dear ones, that are not true. They're not true. Usually, it's not on the inflated side of the, of the, of the uh, equation. There are some people that think more highly of themselves than they should. But really, I've encountered very few. It's usually on the other side of the equation. We tend to think of ourselves in ways that are less than God sees us. But look what, look what happens here when they're alone with Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. Jesus says to, to Peter, he says, you, his name, remember, he says, you're Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonas. That's what that means, Simon, son of Jonah. That was his given name. But Jesus says, in my book, you're Peter. Simon means hearing, kind of like, a, it's sort of an odd name. Why would you name your kid Hearing. Uh, it, it's kind of a generic sort of odd name. Now, it was com- a common Hebrew name in those days. In fact, Jesus had two disciples named Simon. Simon the Zealot, uh, excuse me, Simon the Zealot and Simon Peter. It was a common name, but it didn't, it didn't stand out. It really, you know, it was kind of like, mm-hmm, ho-hum. But Jesus said, you know, I see you differently. Your name to me is Peter. And Peter means a chip or a piece of the rock. Some people get this passage confused, and it's oftentimes used, and I, I don't mean to stir up a controversy, but it's oftentimes used as a, a, a justification for um, the, the papal office, uh, the pope, you know. Um, and it's understood that he's in the direct line of Peter because, and, and he has all this authority because Jesus said, Peter, I mean, your name is Peter, and on this rock, on Peter, I'm going to build my church. But that's not really what's being said here. He's saying, Peter, Simon, your name in my book is Peter. You're a chip off the rock. And on the boulder, the massive boulder of what you've just said, your confession, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, on the basis of the boulder, the massive, you know, granite boulder of your confession, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But Peter, you're a piece of that. And listen, I don't know all of you, certainly, uh, I don't know any of you really well. But whatever your life story, 
Whatever's brought, whatever trail has brought you to this day, good, bad, or ugly, one thing I know about you, if you have given your life to Christ and are a follower of him, you're a piece of the rock. You have a unique place to fill in this church that Jesus Christ has established. Spending time with Jesus makes that more clear to me. And the lies that I've believed about myself, the things that the devil is always there to whisper in my ear that are contrary to the will of God for my life, those things tend to quiet down. And I tend to hear more of what God has to say about who I am. It also, getting time alone with God reminds us of his power. It goes on to say, listen, Peter, the gates of hell cannot prevail against what I'm going to do. The gates of a city were, was always the place where authority was uh, resided because uh, the judges would sit there and, uh, you know, help people settle disputes. It was considered the, well, it was the way in and out of any city, so it was the place most defended. It was a really important place in the city. And, and uh, Jesus was saying, listen, even the gates of hell cannot prevail against what I'm doing. Have you ever felt kind of, um, I don't know, a little bit uh, anxious or nervous about what the future might hold? Do you know there's something so powerful about just getting apart with Jesus? The phone isn't ringing. The kids aren't tugging on my, hand, on my uh, pant leg. And for those few minutes, I'm just alone with the Lord. There's something that he is able to communicate to me deep in my soul about his awesome power. And I'm reminded of the fact there isn't anything that hell can throw at me that he isn't greater than. Finally, uh, getting alone with Jesus, um, spending time with him increases our spiritual authority. He goes on to say that whatever you, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I, I can't help it. I always, when I read that, I always think about the day my dad pulled the keys out of his pocket to our Volkswagen van and said, here, take it for a spin. I just got my driver's license. took me two times to pass, but I finally got my driver's license, and he said, here. <laughs> so you know what I did? I followed a bunch of friends in my car, and we drove to, uh, uh, we went to Dodger Stadium, Chavez Ravine. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever been there, but we wanted to go see a game. And anyway, when you get to the place where you pay for parking, you're on an incline. And I'm, I got a stick shift, right? So I'm, I mean, and we park, we, we, you know, we're in the line to get up to the place where you pay your parking fee. And I just kept rolling back into the car behind me again and again and again. <laughs> I don't know how I got on that subject. Anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh. But I guess it does say something about what Jesus is also saying and the risk that he's taking when he says to you, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. And if you roll back into the car behind you a few times, that's going to be okay. There is uh, so much that God wants to accomplish in and through our lives. And we... we um, 
just need those times alone with him to be reminded of that. And it is those times alone that actually, with the Lord that actually give us the authority. We, we, I don't, you know what, I have nothing. If, if, if in your mind there is anything of a sense of me having some form of spiritual authority when I stand up here to, to speak or to lead the church, you know that the only reason that that might be is because I do spend time alone with God. It didn't come from my education. It didn't come from my experience. It come, I have no authority whatsoever in God if I don't have time alone with Him. And so I encourage you today, let's be ones who uh, vacation with Jesus. Get on retreat with Him every day. Every day. I mean, it, I, I realize with the pace of life that sometimes, some of us can't spend, you know, truckloads of time in that kind of a setting. But we can spend a few minutes with him. And then there are days or there are times when we can spend more. And if we plan on it, if we prepare for it, God will meet us in profound ways. <laughs> 